Welcome to Women Igniting Change, the place to be for women leaders and decision makers who are passionate about changing the world and determined to act. I'm your host, Robin Jorgensen, former corporate executive, global speaker, and founder and CEO of Women Igniting Change. Let's dive in. Hey, hey, changemakers. Welcome back to the Women Igniting Change podcast. You are in for an extraordinary treat today. Today, we have two incredible guests. We have Marcy Duncan, who is a playwright and actor and the director of the acting program at the University of West Florida and has dozens of theater credits to her name. We also have Carrie Sandell, who has a bachelor's degree in theater performance and a master's degree in strategic communication, also with dozens of extensive theater credits to her name. And here's what we're going to be exploring today. Can a white and a Black woman who have been friends for over 20 years have an open, honest conversation about race, and can their friendship survive? Marcy, Carrie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. This is so exciting. <laughs> yeah, this is, it's such a needed topic. And, you know, for our listeners, Marcy and Carrie created this amazing play called Dissonance. And it explores that question that I just posed to you. So that's what we're going to dive into today. So for both of you, what inspired you to create this play and really dive into such a complex and emotionally charged topic, such as race and friendship? Well, I think it was, um, quite honestly, a result of the, the climate, the George Floyd climate. Yep. Um, it was very rough at that time, a lot of uncertainty and um, it was heavy. It was really heavy. And I was doing a show at the time um, at a theater company in Florida. And um, Carrie came to me after the show um, and she's, she asked if she could talk to me. And so I was like, yeah, sure. And she simply asked me, how are you doing? And I knew what she meant. She was asking me, how are you doing in this climate? How are you dealing I know that you're a mother of a 20-year-old son. He was 20 at the time. You know, I, I have a 20-year-old, she said, and I'm interested to know the things that you're telling your son versus the things that I'm telling my son. And I want to talk to you about that. And that question, how are you? It was so striking to me coming from Carrie, a white woman, to myself, a Black woman. It was so striking and so touching um, and I was, I was not doing well, yes. I was not doing well. And, uh, she asked the question and that really was the spark to starting to create this play together and starting to have an honest conversation about race together. Gary, mm -hmm. was it, did you feel courageous in doing that? Were you nervous or was it just coming from the heart and you were totally fine posing that question, not knowing how Marcy might respond. I was compelled to do so. Mm -hmm. It was within me. Yeah. Um, things were so rough. You know, we all experienced, you know, simultaneously COVID and then the social unrest that just erupted. And I think a lot of us felt hopeless and the media was very negative. The social media was very divisive. And I don't think that that's very representative of all of us. I think most of us want unity. And Marcy was just on my heart a lot because we do have young adult sons that are the same age. And it's like, you know, as a woman, as a mom, you know, 
her experience of what she's experiencing right now is very different from mine. And I want to understand it um, and make sense of it. And so to me, the logical thing to do as theater artists, we just relate to the world in narratives. Right. And, you know, let's make sense of it. Let's have a conversation. Let's make, let's write a play. Um, yeah. And I've written chapters and articles and things before, but I've never written a play. Marcy had never written a play. So, you know, my expectation was, you know, to create something, but I could have never anticipated what was born from these conversations that Marcy and I had. I was a little nervous, which is weird because I'm never nervous talking to anybody, but it was one of those, you need to go do this. So right. it was like, do this, you know, you need to go do this. So it was like, I got, I've got to do this. Hopefully she can talk for a second, but um, I wasn't nervous in, you know, how her response would be. So I just needed to connect. Let's into that conversation a little bit, because you mentioned at the time, both of your sons were 20-ish. How are those conversations different? You know, as a white woman, my son is 34, but I know the conversation that I was having with him was very different three years ago than Marcy would have been for you. So take us into that conversation a little bit. What were the different dialogues that you were having with your sons at that time? Well, the first thing that I remember sharing with with Carrie is a story that happened to my son, um, which he he broke down as he was traveling from Pensacola to Tallahassee. And he broke down in Bonifay, Florida. And immediately when he called me, the phone rang and he told me he had broken down and where he was. I was very nervous because it's a very rural area. It's not a very diverse area. And I was nervous. Um, And so he taught, he Talk me. I stayed on the phone with him the entire time and we got the things that we needed. And all along the way, there were moments that he was explaining to me where I started to get afraid. He mentioned that the, in the McDonald's, he was the only person of color in the McDonald's and all eyes were on him. And I was like, just hurry up and eat and get out and walk to the the car shop where your car is because the tow truck guy had dropped him off there to get some lunch while he wait. And as he was walking to, um, to the car repair shop, you know, um, he was walking along the highway because there wasn't any sidewalk. I remember that very distinctly. And I was like, Oh God. Um, and a car pulled up beside him and it was, it was, uh, a car full of, of white guys. And they, they yelled the N word at him. And I'm hearing this in real time. And so I'm three hours away from my son. I can't get to him. I am not with him. I cannot ensure his protection. It's not that I can ensure that anyway, but the illusion of it is is totally gone. And I am freaking out, trying not to, uh, you know, freak out because he is freaking out, Mm -hmm. you know, and just this moment in time as, you know, I was like, Carrie, I did not know what to do. I did not know what to do. And and what I thought to do was to call the car repair shop and ask the guy who was taking care of his car to please go and find my son. Please go and find him. And he did. And he did. And he said, I'm a father. I have a son. I'm sending my son right now to go and find your son. And that's exactly what Carrie was explaining in the beginning. His father, he heard the terror in a, in a mother's voice. Yep. And I told him exactly what had happened. 
So he knew it was some race things involved. But because he was a father and he heard this mother in panic, he went and found my son and helped him. So that's something that happens, you know, in my experience, that doesn't necessarily happen in Carrie's experience. Or difference, I think. And what I wanted to explore is, although I did not know at the time that that you had gone through this with with Jamari, um, I think what's stark or notable is the absence of that conversation that I was having. Right. You know, and we talk about it in the play and, and she talks about this incident and my character says, well, I, I worry about him getting in the car and getting into an accident. I worry about him texting and driving. I worry about, you know, get, being distracted or whatever. I don't have that driving while white conversation with him. Sure. Um, and I was aware of that from, you know, just watching the, in so aware of it anyway, right? But watching the civil discourse, I'm watching how um, dangerous things were becoming um, made me very aware of that, made me very mindful of this is somebody whose experience is so different. She's in the same situation as me and her experience is so different. Right. Um, and, and the challenge of that and the reality of the, the fear and, and insecurity and lack of control that as a mom you would feel. Ooh, Marcy, thank you for sharing that because I, I think it's really important just educating our listeners, you know, just to the experience of, of you as a mom and of your son being in that in the moment and having good people around that are willing to help. Yeah. Thank God. Yeah. And they are, there are, but we have to, we have to ask, right. you know, and because I was in a desperate situation, I had to ask. Yeah. I had to ask. The other thing too, is that the thing I think about, and, and Carrie and I talked about this, um, is that my son, um, like myself, he has locks, you know, um, dreaded hair and he is uh, of darker complexion and his car at the time did not have any air conditioning. So he, you know, he rode around with his um, windows down and he may or may not have a shirt on because it's hotter, hotter than hot here. And as I was thinking about the, these things, I'm like, okay, if, if you are seen by a police officer, with a, a t-shirt or a no shirt and your locks flying in the wind as the, as the, you know, the, the windows are down and you're in a Lexus and all of these things may make you more vulnerable to a stop to, to, to a unwarranted stop by mm -hmm. the police. So you have to be aware of that son, you know, you have to be aware, but why isn't he, why isn't he permitted the opportunity to be his full black self? Right. And it breaks my heart for him. Right. That I have to have these conversations, you know, how you approach the police, make sure they can see your hands, make sure X, Y and Z, make sure your tone is is not aggressive. Right. Everyone else seems to be able to get the benefit of the doubt. Why? Why doesn't my son get the benefit of the doubt? Yeah. Right. So th those are also some of the conversations uh, that we had. And we do know that these aren't situations that happen 100% of the time. We right. know that, right? Um, because there are some wonderful police officers there. I've met them. We've interacted with them. Mm -hmm. um, but but the, the sad reality is that there are situations where these conversations come into play. Right. 
Take our listeners into that collaborative process from conceiving the idea to translating it on stage and how this journey has impacted your own friendship other than the two women that are in the play. Go ahead, Karen. The process was interesting because like I said, we were locked down in COVID. Right. And so we just began. I mean, the first logical place was we need to have a conversation about race. We need to figure this out and you know, be vulnerable and ask questions and be willing to answer questions and explore and explore our own experiences, explore our own opinions, biases, whatever. Um, But the fact that everything was locked down afforded us this very unique experience because we started meeting by Zoom. We started meeting by Google Doc. We opened a Google Doc and just started asking each other these these questions. What were some Um, of those questions, Carrie? Well, one of the first questions that I asked Marcy was, what is your first experience of an awareness of race? Um, growing up in the South, having moved from out West to then in in the South in the early 80s, I can pinpoint exactly the day mm-hmm. of when I became aware of it. Um, but her experience, I know, would have been totally different from mine. So so we, I asked about that. I asked her, you know, what do you think about interracial dating? Knowing that that might be an anthill I was kicking. Um, but the, the thing that was so lovely is because we had that, that forum, we had the opportunity to, to think, to contemplate, to pray, to, to articulate in a, in a good, communicative, clear way what we were thinking about these issues instead of just responding like sometimes you do when you're face to face with someone. Mm -hmm. And we said from the get go, Marcy and I agreed, okay, we're going to screw up. We're going to say something stupid. We're going to hurt each other's feelings. Let's just agree that this is going to be done in love. And that's our intent. And our intent is understanding and unity. And because we had established those, you know, we weren't thinking of it as ground rules at the time, but that's what it it was. Um, We just kind of organically did it. Um, it it did create this safe container where I could I felt free to ask her whatever I wanted, mm-hmm. um, and there were times that she would ask me something or give me an answer, and then I'd have to stew on it a little bit because it's like okay, I hear intellectually what you're saying, I understand, but I don't understand what you're saying. Um, yeah. For instance, you know, just very commonly referring to having to read a room. It's like I I know what you mean, but I don't have to. Every time I walk into a room, have an awareness of, is this a safe space for me? Am I the only one here like me? Am I welcome here? Is my voice welcome here? So things like that, that just have not been my experience that I really wanted to understand. And Marcy was lovely and gracious and very um, candid and thoughtful in in her responses. And um, I think some of it required a lot of soul searching and work on her end that, um, was a whole process. (laughs) Yeah, I I have to agree because I've never had such an in-depth conversation about some of these things with with a white person. And, um, you know, throughout the process, I I had learned that there were some some, um, trust issues there, right? From from between myself and white women um, because the the situations or, or relationships that I had been in previously, it always felt like a power dynamic existed in in the relationship, and um, and so yes, I I totally agree with Carrie. It it did take some time for me to kind of okay, what what am I thinking about here? 
what is the um what is the annoyance what is the the frustration what is the anger what's behind it and so i was able to kind of take some time think about it even talk to my husband and like you know like why am i having this reaction and really uncover some of the deep seated messages uh that we get in society right you know, in this dynamic between white people and black people and then white women and black women so um yeah it was it was difficult and i ain't going to lie to you it was difficult but um it was done in love and so that gave me the permission to keep pushing even when it got hard so even from that Google Doc and you guys talking through these questions before you even turned it into the play. What was your biggest learning just from that exploration of that conversation, both of you? What was your biggest takeaway from that? Mine was um, appreciating culture in a way that I think in, in white America, we kind of blow off because we're in general, the dominant culture. I don't feel like there's much of a culture there, but um, but the slowing down to appreciate how interwoven identity and culture are mm. and um, how it should be celebrated. And um, so that for me was one of the things. I mean, there was a lot more. There was the obvious things I knew that were going to come out that were kind of the reason for for this conversation in the first place. But one of the the side things was just a, an appreciation and understanding um, and honoring of culture. Marcy, how about you? I think, uh, well, there were a lot, uh, there were a lot for me because this was a, a very healing journey for me. Um, um, just in the way that I approach relationships and uh, relationships with, with white women. Um, so it was very healing for me. Um, I think one of the major things was, the ability and permission to be my full authentic self, not to dumb myself down, not in intellect, but in my cultural expression and my true authenticity as a Black woman and all that that encompasses. And to be able to not hide certain things about myself or my cultural experience in the presence or in a relationship with a white woman mm -hmm. in, fear, in fear that I would be judged or I wouldn't be understood or I would be too much. Right. Mm -hmm. And um, which are some things that I, I, I actually felt. So um, I think the, the biggest thing for me throughout this process was to um, absolutely present my true self to Carrie and let it be what it is instead of trying to fix it so that I can become more palatable. Yeah. Woo. Thank you both for sharing that. That's it's incredible. All right. So let's dive into this beautiful play that the two of you put together and the mm -hmm. impact of dissonance. So what impact have you guys observed in the audiences, both emotionally and in terms of fostering the conversations around race and friendship? Well, it's so interesting. That could take us an hour right there, I'm sure. Yeah. It's so interesting because one of the things that this play continues to, to do 
is to show us that there are so many more people who want unity than there are people who don't. That's that, a beautiful takeaway right there. Yes. And, and, and it has debunked that myth and that belief system that we are so divided beyond repair. That is not true. There's actually more people that want to be unified, that want to figure out how to to hear and see each other um, because our audiences have shown us that. Every place that we have gone to, the things that we keep hearing are, everybody should see this. I've got some thinking to do. I thought I understood what this meant. I realize now I need to go back and, and, and think about this. Um, and that's every audience we've been in. We have not had any negative um, responses from anyone who has seen the play. Mm-hmm. Now, it's one thing to think you know what the play is about and comment on that. But it's another thing to actually experience the play and come away and go, oh, wow, that, mm-hmm. that was absolutely what I needed to hear and what I needed to see. Carrie, how about you? Beautiful, because um, we've had the privilege of performing across a wide demographic of audience members. Um, we've been in the South. We've been in predominantly white audiences, predominantly black audiences. We've been in D.C. We've been in New York. And so culturally and and uh, regionally very diverse mm-hmm. audiences. And like Marcy said, universally, it has been healing. People feel validated and heard. People feel challenged. Um, there is there are so many times where people are like, that's my story. Um, and we've had so many lovely people come with their their white friend or their black friend and say, that was us. We had this conversation and we've had a handful of people say, I had that friendship and we didn't make it past 2020. Wow. Our friendship didn't survive. And so this conversation, you know, dissonance, we always say is, you know, this is not prescriptive. This is not, you know, six steps in how to have a racial conversation, but it does model you know, what's necessary in these difficult conversations, the, the friendship, the intimacy, the vulnerability, the humility um, that needs to take place. Our director always says, you know, we are in this great experiment of America together and we need to figure it out. It's time to figure it out. And it really is. Um, and so so we've been very, very blessed with with our audiences. And it's funny, every when we were in DC and New York, we kept getting the question, oh yeah, but how is it received in the South? <laughs> Which is, I get it, mm-hmm. but it's been beautifully received. And um, I think that's indicative of, like Marcy said, people in general, we want unity. In general, we want to understand one another. Um, and that's a beautiful thing. And that's a thing of hope. That's the, I think I, that is so crucial because what we see out in society through social media is the complete opposite. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's almost pitting us all against each other versus what you see live with an audience. No, that's not what we want as Americans. Mm-hmm. So to get that message out there of hope, love, unity, this is who we are is huge. Yeah, I agree. I, I absolutely agree. And the people that come to see our show, they are ready for a conversation or to listen or to learn. They're, they're ready. And as they experience it with us, because our characters, Angela and Lauren, we experience it 
we walk through it, we have the conversation, and we go through it together. And the audiences go on that ride with us. We had an audience member in DC say, okay, I knew what it was about. And then, you know, in the play, it's like, okay, they're going there. And then he was like, and then it was like, oh my gosh, they're going there, you know? And that's what can be refreshing for people is, you know, and it was such a huge part of our process is so many times in relationships, there are elephants in the room that you just, you know, make this decision of, I'm not going to go there. Um, this is too much or, or, you know, just weighing, is this worth it or not? And so we, we tiptoe around these things. And once you strip that away and say what you're thinking, warts and all, it allows for that dialogue, that understanding, and it can be painful, like ripping off a Band-Aid, but, um, you know, it can be a beautiful thing as well. So mm-hmm. I, I think audience members are always surprised at, at how honest the play is. And so, you know, people say, oh, I have thought that so many times and wanted to say that, um, and we say it. Mm-hmm. So, Well, I make up that in the audience, by experiencing this live, it then gives them permission to go back and have those conversations in their own life that they were afraid to have, that they were tiptoeing around and just dive in and say, you know what, I'm going to screw this up and I really need to talk. Yeah. Yeah. And I think one of the things that the play really makes clear, again, it's, it's not a prescriptive or preachy kind of uh, play. We don't tell you what to do. Uh, but one of the things that comes up in the play and is apparent is that these two women can have this conversation and can go there with each other because they're in relationship with one another. Mm. Right. I think it's important that we don't just go around having random conversations right. with random people because uh, we have to make sure that our motive, that our intention is to unify right. and it's not to win and it's not to uh, tear down or prove a point, but it's, it's to unify. And so when you come together with a, in spirit of unity, you realize that there's nothing to win, but there's actual a coming together and listening to one another to hear and to learn from one another. And I think that's really important when having conversations with people who are not like you right? Um, to know that it's in unity and, and in love and not to win. So this play takes place, we're going to take people into the play for a moment. So it takes place in a coffee shop mm-hmm. um, and has some pretty intense and difficult conversations between Angela and Lauren. Mm-hmm. Share with our listeners how you crafted that dialogue to authentically represent the perspectives and emotions of both of them. I think um, one of the ways in which we we crafted the dialogue is once we had um the, that these two people would uh, be working on something together and opening up this coffee shop because it was kind of symbolic of the fact that they have to be locked in to one another. That mm. they, can't, they can't leave this room. Uh, they can't have a way of escape. So they are, they're opening up this coffee shop. They're getting it ready for opening day, putting all the bells and whistles together. So they're actively creating this thing together. And one of the ways that we got the dialogue is 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 we actually took it from some of the conversation that we had. And also, you know, if I would write something, I would say, okay, here's what I said 
that your character Lauren would say, but how would you say it? And as we, and, and oftentimes Carrie and I would meet in a coffee shop and we both have our laptops and we would be sitting there and I'm like, okay, so how would you answer that? If I said this to you and she would go, okay, I would just say it like this. And we would actually put it in there. So we crafted the dialogue. And that's another thing that people always count, um, comment on. They're like, it's just so like real. Like we, you guys were really talking to one another. You know, we really bought into the dialogue and, and it's because we actually said, okay, how would you answer this? How would you say this? Right. Here's what I want to say. And then our director would push us and go, I hear what you're saying, but that's not what you're saying. <laughs> Let's get a little bit more honest, Marcy, go home, rewrite that monologue see if you can find a little bit more honesty in what you're really trying to say. And then I would come back and we would start the process again. Wow. So, so your director really pushed both of you to go deeper and deeper. Oh my. It did. You know, and it was interesting because we had started this whole journey with let's be honest with each other and let's be candid and let's be vulnerable. And we so hundred percent thought we were mm -hmm. until we got on our feet and started going through it with the director. And he was like, great. That's not at all what you're saying. That's not working. What are you saying? Why are you afraid to say this? And so having, even with the best of intentions and feeling, you know, pretty proud of ourselves for how candid and honest we were being, there were still those elephants in the room. So having that, you know, external push of, oh yeah, no, I wouldn't say that. Or I wouldn't just let her say that to me without responding or whatever it is. Um, mm -hmm. So that, like Marcy said, you know, people are like, wow, it sounds like you're really having this conversation. Well, we really did have the conversation. So, so, you know, it was, it was beautiful um, in that regard. But I, again, always surprising that, you know, we thought we were doing so good. <laughs> so what have been the most challenging and rewarding aspects of performing and touring this play? I think we probably both have different answers. Um, I think for me, the the most challenging part was the first time we performed it uh, in front of an audience. I was very excited. I was very proud. We had um, we had tested it, <laughs> if you will, in front of a smaller audience, and we did a, a reading of it and got some really great responses. So we knew we were on the right track, and it was resonating with people. But the very first time that we performed it live in front of an audience, and it happened to be at a location that I'm from. So I'm from Tallahassee. So it was it was full of people that I knew. And it was the audience was full of people that I mentors and respected. And I did not realize how my body, my physical body, Robin, would fight me in telling people the truth of what I felt. Wow. And I'm telling you, my body locked up like nobody's business. I'm, my my shoulders were filled with tension. I had to, I was in pain. I was in pain. Do you hear me? Wow. Like I had to go and get work, the chiropractor and the masseuse like simultaneously working on me. I'm popping you know, ibuprofen, like nobody's business. And in retrospect, I wasn't able to put the pieces of the puzzle together in the moment. But in retrospect, I saw, I realized that it was my body doing what it does, protecting myself from mm -hmm. putting, putting itself in harm's way. So it interpreted, because that's the way that I used to, to live my life, right? There, you can't share that. You can't say that. People will think they won't like it. 
what's going to happen. And as soon as I gave myself permission to do that, my bodies wanted to protect me. But after that show, it was done. It was done. And it wasn't what I thought it would be. And it was very loving and very caring. And a lot of people resonated with it. And um, as I began to be more comfortable with sharing my truth, those issues went away. Marcy, was it more because you were in front of a hometown crowd and having them hear you have these conversations with a white woman? I think so. I think so. Or they may not have had that privilege before, was a little bit awkward and not sure what people were going to think and say. Absolutely. Because it's like in our community, sometimes in, in the black community, sometimes there's this thing where you say, okay, don't you talk about it with people of your same color, but you don't talk about it with people who are not the same color, right? We have these conversations all the time, but we never have them who are not in our community. So there's this thing of like, you putting it all out there now, we're, we're supposed to keep this to us. Do you know what I mean? Like what goes, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. So that was a, absolutely, Robin, it was a part of that as well, you know? And I remember talking to my family after the show um, and listening to them um, talk about what they got from the play. And they were like, Auntie, like one of my nieces and nephews said, Auntie, I really wanted to be on your side. But but the other character made some good points, Auntie. <laughs> and I was like, yes, don't side with me because we we share the same color. Right. Listen, listen to both perspectives and and determine what is right and what is wrong for yourself. And that's what happened. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Carrie, how about you? What were some of the challenging and rewarding pieces of bringing that on the road? You know, every show has had something different because it's been such a different dynamic in every audience. Um, It was interesting. I can attest Marcy was going to the chiropractor every day that week we opened. Um, And it's, you know, on top of it being your hometown, it, we premiered at an HBCU. So, you know, it was, was that. She yeah. was going, you know, she was, she was marrying her soul. Mm-hmm. So, um, so it was, you know, it was a lot. I, I completely get that and, and witnessed it. Um, but it was so beautifully received, you know, before we opened, um, our director was like, okay, we need to tell Carrie about, about the audience there. There's a lot of like feedback and audience participation. She needs to be prepared for this. It's like, okay, it's okay. I got it. They talk, um, they talk a lot. <laughs> and somebody's like, I wanted to pull up a chair and just sit with y'all. So I'm, well, I'm glad you didn't do that. <laughs> but, um, you know, for me, it's been so one of the most rewarding situations, I would say, if I had to pinpoint one, we were performing at one of the venues here in Pensacola and a gentleman in his mid fifties who had grown up in a rural area, the panhandle came up to us and, and thanked us for the show and said, I've got some thinking to do. I always thought this, but now I need to go home and do some thinking. And what a testament to the fact that people do want unity and that, you know, even if you're in your mid fifties and you've had the same belief because of where you were raised, how you were raised just culturally, Mm -hmm. what was the norm? People are willing to, reassess, okay, does this align with my beliefs? 
is this, does this align now with my beliefs and am I still on the right track or do I need to reassess what my beliefs are and how, how they align with how I act that out, how I walk that out in daily life. So to me, that was huge. You know, it was just one man coming up and saying, wow, but because I knew his background and I knew, you know, just socially and culturally where he was coming from, Mm -hmm. to me, that was huge. Um, And was just such a good affirmation of, okay, we're doing, I mean, we knew we were doing good work. We knew from the beginning, this is a good play. And then every time we've been in front of an audience and they've been dumbfounded and sometimes literally where they just, after the show, they're just teary eyed and just they're like, can't do it right now (laughs) because there's so much to process. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And we do have a talk back as part of our play. And it's such a critical piece of the experience because it's a lot to process. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's, it's huge for some audience members to process. Um, and kind of digest what they've seen, ask questions about the process, share their thoughts and experience. Um, and, and so it has been so unifying across the board. And to see people then start to connect during the, the talk back and afterwards be sharing with one another and sharing their thoughts about the play or their experiences of life with one another after that is just amazing and beautiful. I love that you saw a talk back is where you're engaging with the audience after the play and having conversation. Yes. Mm -hmm. I love that you do that because it sounds like it is so emotionally charged and emotionally draining that the audience doesn't just attend this incredible play, open themselves up and leave. Mm -hmm. I love that you hold them in another container where they can start to process those feelings. Mm -hmm. It's such a huge, you can tell how responsible you take this, not only for the two of you and the conversation, but for the audience that you invite into this. Um, I I love that. We're pretty deliberate about, you know, we talked about ground rules that we established, you know, we talk about our process and we say, okay, our, our director always asks, okay, is there a way we can guarantee in this room right now we have those components of relationship, of a desire for unity, of, um, you know, not an agenda of wanting to win, of love? Can we guarantee that that's in this room right now? And nobody can guarantee that, right? We, these are all strangers with one another. Right. Um, and so we don't engage in a racial conversation at that point with them. But what we do do is say, look at look at what we've done, look at what has worked historically, what has not worked historically, mm-hmm. and then you know search your heart when you're having a conversation with somebody of a different culture. What is your motive? Like Marcy said, there's no winning if your if your motive is to win. Don't be having the conversation, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so that's that's part of what we talk about as well. As much as our process and our relationship and and people sharing their experience is we're, we're mindful of let's not take a left turn and start to get into a political or racial conversation that we can't guarantee is going to be couched in love and understanding and unity. Mm -hmm. So how have you started to incorporate educational components or resources as you've done these tours and heard from the audience? Where will it evolve from here to include those components, if it will? 
you know, we really, Carrie and I, I think it was you, Robin. I'm I'm not sure we've we've talked to so many people, but I think it was you talking about um a a book or a workbook that people can take away. Um and, and Carrie and I really did love that idea. Um, usually the time for us to kind of slow down is during the summer mm-hmm. where we can, you know, dedicate some time to creative pursuits um, when we're not touring. So I think we will. I think we will sit down and really put together a workbook that people can work through because I think that is a fantastic idea. And uh, I would love to to give them something that they can take away home and start to further investigate the things that they think about um, about each other. Nice. So as you think through those talkbacks and the audiences that you've performed in front of, what advice or insights can you offer to individuals and communities who want to engage in these meaningful dialogues about such sensitive topics? I don't know what to say bring us, bring us to your community. We are a great tool for opening up the idea of a conversation and a dialogue done in love, done in understanding. Um, I think that's, you know, I love that we're such an effective tool in that way. Yeah. Um, so reach out to us. This is my first, first I, response. I would, I would endorse that. <laughs> um, and then, like I, like I said, you know, I mean, in order to engage before you even start a racial conversation, instead of having a panel go back and forth, you know, and what needs to be present is relationship, mm-hmm. is a desire for unity, a desire t- and a willingness to just shut your mouth and open your ears and then be willing to open your mouth and share what's in your heart. Yeah. Um, so I, I think checking your agenda at the door and mm-hmm. just be willing to see and be seen. I totally agree. Um, I think the first step is definitely checking your motive, checking Mm -hmm. your motive. And if it's not unity, um, then you don't need to be having the conversation. And also when you're talking to someone that you love and care about, remember that I love them and I care about them. So I'm going to listen more than I talk. Mm -hmm. And then maybe the next time we come together, I'll talk more, right? So it just depends. You got to really consider the relationship. Um, But let love lead you. Let love lead you because love will never steer you wrong if if you let love lead you. So even irrespective of both of your backgrounds, you know, there's a lot of different ways that you could have gotten this message out there. So what role does art play? in bridging those cultural divides and fostering empathy and connection? I think it's huge. I think maybe that's why Dissonance has been so well received and so Mm -hmm. successful in just our first short year that we've had is theater in particular. I think any art, but theater in particular has a way of allowing you to sit, to have that willingness to put yourself in a character's shoes and experience something from their perspective that is different than just sitting and listening to someone talk at you or someone preach at you or going into a counselor's office and being willing to share your innermost thoughts. Um, it's, it's a safe way to experience in some way and to listen 
to what someone else is experiencing. Yeah, you know? I, agree. I agree. And and it's entertainment as well. Yes, mm-hmm. our show is is you know it has a very distinct purpose, um, an expectation that we have when we perform it. But it is absolutely entertaining. It's absolutely mm-hmm. it's entertaining. It's funny. It's endearing. Um, and it's heartfelt and people can experience that along with us. Right. And I think that is the thing about theater, about live theater is you are there with them in real time and you can experience it with them in real time. And that is something that is magical about the discipline of theater. You know, if if you're watching this at home, you can pause when it gets tough and walk away or choose not to, you know, continue watching. Mm -hmm. But in a live theater, of course, comes the conventions of theater. You you, you stay in, you know, you might have to take a couple breaths. You might have to bring out (laughs) tissue and dab your eyes, but you stay locked in. And I think that's one of the things that makes theater um, so magical. and a perfect venue for um, plays that um, want to bring about change. Yeah. And I do want to stress, I mean, it sounds like, you know, it sounds so overarching and noble. We're having this conversation about race, but it is a fun play and we laugh and we dance and people have a great time. Uh, (laughs) So it's not just, okay, everybody put on your seatbelts. We're all going to talk about race. (laughs) You know, we have some serious conversations, but it's a super fun, entertaining play. Yeah. And I think people are surprised at that. They're like, oh my gosh, that was hilarious. That was so much fun. We enjoyed, you know, but you know, you see that these women love each other. Mm -hmm. And so you have fun with them just as they're having fun doing what they're doing. And then you have some, some heartfelt moments that are sometimes hard to chew on. Yeah. But um, but it is fun. It's a fun play. So what's the vision for Dissonance? So the three of us are having, we're sitting down, we're having a glass of wine five years from now, which we're going to make happen for real, by the way. Yes. yes. Even way before that, but this will be five years out. <laughs> vision for Dissonance. Like, where do you want this to go? And what ultimate impact do you want this to have? I think, um, and I always say that. I think we want Dissonance to go to the largest theatrical stage in the world, and that is Broadway. Mm-hmm. And then we want Dissonance to go international, right? And then we would love for opportunities for Dissonance to be filmed and captured in the heart at which we perform it and shown on a streaming platform so that as many people that can see this play and experience the message can. First, by us because we wrote it and we love to perform it. <laughs> then we will allow other people to perform it and take it and do their own performances of it as well. Yeah. So where I think, I'm sorry, Carrie, go ahead. No, that's okay. I think another piece of that puzzle as we're working our way to Broadway is, um, you know, of course we perform in professional theaters and community theaters um, and we have performed it three institutes of higher learning. And I think that it is such a fantastic venue for this show because people are willing and learning how to engage in civil discourse. And universities are a great way for this conversation to be had and for people to dialogue. Right. Um, we, you know, we had the 
the privilege of performing it at the University of West Florida. It's been a little more of a challenge performing it in Florida in the last year. Um, there are some some obstacles just politically, um, mm-hmm. but but I think that that is a great avenue to have our play seen is to to be able to engage with these universities and colleges. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So where can our listeners find out more about dissonance? Well, social media, it's dissonance, the play. So we have a wonderful assistant who keeps things updated for us and shares where we're going, what we're doing and how we're doing it. Um, so please Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, follow us, dissonance, the play. And then you can always check out our website, www.dissonanceplay.com. Marcy, Carrie, I cannot thank you enough for this super important conversation, but for sharing your heart and your passion and your love for all of us to consume and benefit from. For our listeners, we are going to have Marcy and Carrie's full lengthy bios, information about dissonance in the show notes, and we will see you back here next time. Take care, everybody. Thanks, Robin. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to Women Igniting Change. I know creating change matters to you. If you enjoy what we talk about on the show, please take one action today and share it with someone who could benefit from listening. Until next time, keep standing up and speaking out for what matters.